With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, my name is Ali Vigneault, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Eskinen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hi, it's Derek Graham. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from our one-week hibernation. This is Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's podcast, the Players podcast, the Prognosticators podcast, the Postseason podcast, the Postmortem podcast, the Prongercast, Knubblecast, the Briere cast, the Joel Farabee cast. You know what, Joel Farabee? You never got justice, but we're still here for you. The Only Flyers Podcast. I'm Russ Joy. Find me on Twitter at Joy on Broad. Joined as always by the illustrious, the magisterial <laughs> Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter at Ant Sanfilly. Of course, you can find that in the description of every episode. If you're like, hey, I can't follow along with how fast this guy talks. What are their Twitter handles? It's always in the description, as is at Snow the Goalie, where you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at Snow the Goalie. Both of our Twitter handles are also our Instagram handles. And of course, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. Anthony, we took a week off because we were sad or just tired or both. I don't know. But we're back. How you feeling, fella? I'm great, Russ. I'm great. You know, and the, the, the Flyers took a week off before they really kind of, you know, started having everybody talk to us. Oh, um, they took a week off. That, that and just in game seven. It felt like a week off in game seven, right? Yeah. No, um, no, but they did. They took a week to, and it was one of the things that, you know, Chuck Fletcher said at his press conference um, that was kind of important. He said, you know, we didn't want to get come right out and, and, you know, let emotion drive the things that we said. We wanted to take a week, kind of decompress and reassess and think about it, you know, uh, once we kind of got over the, the loss uh, in game seven. And I think that that was important for, for the team. And it's probably important for us too, you know, take, just take that week and kind of look back. I don't think my opinions changed much. I don't know if yours has, but I mean, I, I think, you know, I kind of still view things the same way. Um, but it was, it was good. It was good to kind of just, you know, after going hard for a month in hockey, to kind of take a, uh, take a breather and uh, now kind of look back and look ahead at the same time, which is I think what we're going to be doing here tonight um, as we go through some of the things that have been said in some of these press conferences that you, know, you and I have been taking part in, these, these Zoom conferences with the players and the coaches and the GM, and, and really kind of try and figure out what it all means for the Flyers as we look forward to the 2021 season. And I say that because it's probably going to be a 2021 season, My not God, a 2021 season. But we'll, we'll get to that eventually. Well, I mean, you're – you're really gunning for it early. I thought that was going to be something we were going to talk about later in the show, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm here for it. Um, yeah, we, we've been in on a few of these, and oddly enough, you and I both, despite not being in all of them all the time, we both still know how to raise our hand, unmute <laughs> ourselves, mute ourselves after we're done the question, and put our hand back down. 
fascinating stuff. I, I wish I could say the same for everybody else. Anyway, uh. I'm not, I'm not going to be petty. So there's a lot to dissect and, and we've had, you know, obviously Chuck Fletcher was available. Elaine Vino has been available. We saw Nate Thompson one day was available. I was, I was in, I was in the Nate Thompson one. Um, I was in the Travis Sanheim one. Didn't ask a question. I did actually, I lied about that. I did ask Nate Thompson a question um, about conditioning. Um, he gave me a decent answer. Um, I did not ask Travis Sanheim a question though. Uh, it's his was, he's just not the most, he's not the most you know, answer driven guy. Right. That's the first guest on the Snow Goalie podcast. I know. I mean, sort of, he's sort of the first one. Sort of. I did a one-on-one interview with Travis Sandheim in the locker room, and then we played it on the show. So that was the, the very first quote-unquote guest uh, on Snow the Goalie. And, uh, you know, I just don't – I mean, he just kind of gives the, the pat answer, right? So I didn't feel – I'm going to feel like, you know, jumping in uh, into that fray, although I was on the call. Um, you were on the Provorov call. I was. And I think we both missed the Lawton call. We did. We yeah. were both, you know, we we're both doing our, our regular jobs. Yeah. Which prevented us from, uh, from hopping on with uh, Scotty Lawton. Friend of the show, by the way, Scott Lawton. Um, okay. We could go a whole bunch of different ways to start this. Um, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't start with Chuck Fletcher. Is that a fair place to start? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he went first. He went before the coach, so it's probably the right place to, to start our uh, our breakdown, our assessments. All right, so we're going to start here, and our dear friend here, Anthony Sanfilippo, asked a question about the ramifications of there being a flat cap next year and what that's going to look like, because everybody's you know already starting to throw out immediately. As soon as the Flyers were eliminated, it was like, oh, man, Johnny Hockey, let's go. Let's trade everything for Johnny Hockey. Um, you know, trades are probably going to happen. But Anthony asked a question here that I think was a, a pretty solid one. I'll give you a little uh, tip of the cap. That Thanks. was a good one. And speaking of caps, we've got the flat cap. So let's get into what Chuck Fletcher said. Now, obviously, he's not going to tell you his, his whole offseason strategy. But here's what he had to say about the impact that the flat cap will have on the league next year. But yeah, Chuck, along those same lines, um, normally in an offseason, you know, you're planning months out, months out, months out, and then you have a, a situation like this has arrived with COVID um, and obviously a flat cap over the next two to three years. Do, do you look at it and say from, from 10,000 feet, you know, look league-wide, are we going to have more hockey trades now and free agency be less value, you know, valued for general managers? Are you going to try and do things a little bit differently, a little bit more creatively? How, how is it all going to play out? for the NHL and, and you guys as we move forward here? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We've, we've had a lot of those conversations, uh, you know, during the pause, we had a lot of time, to, a lot of time to think maybe too much. Um, but you have to, if, if the cap is flat for three years, you have to look at it this way. There's a lot of teams right now that don't have cap space already. The teams that do have cap space over the next three years, every one of them has some young players that are going to get raises, potentially big raises. Uh, teams that spend money on UFAs this summer and have young players aren't necessarily going to have any more money in year two and year three. So you know, eventually, by the time you get to year three, how much liquidity is there really going to be in the system? It's going to be tight for everybody. Um, so does that mean prices come down on free agents? Uh, does that encourage more hockey trades, dollar for dollar trades, possibly? Uh, you know, I, I think that from a logical standpoint, that, that could make sense. 
uh, but we'll see. It, it's, um, you know, we're, we're one of a group of teams or several teams uh, worse off than we are. We're one of a, a group of teams that has enough room to do our business, but uh, not a ton of room. And then there's, there's a handful of teams that, that do have some room. Um, and some of them may not even spend the cap depending on their own internal situation. So uh, there's clearly, this is the, you know, there's not a lot of liquidity in the system at all. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And, and uh, I think we're well positioned with our young players. Um, we have the ability to resign these young guys and, and, and we have the ability to improve from within and, and not every team has that luxury. All right. So Chuck Fletcher, interesting, very interesting. So really quick, before we get into any of, of that stuff, Here's where the cap is currently projected for the 2020-2021 season, or if you're Anthony, the 2021 season just on its own. The, the Flyers technically right now uh, could theoretically enter next season with about eight and a half million, no, just under $9 million of cap space, but they still have players that they have to sign. They have a few uh, in, impending UFAs. They of course have a. Um, they're about to enter, you know, a potential RFA negotiation here with Nick Avi Kubel, um, Phil Myers, and Robert Haig. They've got uh, ELCs that are coming up here. So you've got Joel Farabee's going to make nine hundred twenty-five thousand next year. Carter Hart is only going to cost you seven hundred thirty thousand dollars next year. But realistically, you have just under nine million dollars of cap space. Likely that they're going to try to promote from within. This is not going to be that much different. I don't think than where we sat down a couple of years ago with Ron Hextall uh, going into the offseason. And he talked about the need to kind of promote from within to try to, you know, maximize some of the cheaper assets that you have as an organization. So based on what he, he answered there to you, should people expect there to be some kind of a big splash? No, not at all. There's not going to be a big splash at all, in, at least not in free agency. Um, they, the Flyers are not going to be players in free agency. You might see them add a depth defenseman or like a fourth-line guy if they feel they need it, somebody that they can get uh, at an affordable salary, um, you know, to replace uh, one of the UFAs or if, you move a, if they can move a contract. Um, although I do think that Chuck saying that that's a logical conclusion to say that there's going to be more hockey trades, I think that's indica indicative of what they're trying to do, that they're going to try and make hockey trades. Um, not to say there's going to be a lot of them. There might be one. There might be two. But that's, uh, you know, that's probably the maximum. Um, but, yeah, there's not going to be a lot of turnover. I mean, if you look at this team right now, Russ, and, and, and that, that just lost in Game 7 of the Islanders a week and a half ago, and say, you know, what's, going to, what's it going to look like on opening night of the next season, whenever that may be? Um, it's going to be very similar. It, there's going to be a couple of changes, uh, mostly in the bottom six, I think. But I think a lot of your top, you know, top six to eight forwards are going to be the same. I think five of your six defensemen are going to be the same. And of course, your goalie is going to be the same and probably your backup is going to be the same. Um, so get used to it. <laughs> get used to this team because this is pretty much what they're going to attack uh, the league with next season with maybe one or two small exceptions. So you're saying the people who are getting their customized Taylor Hall jersey should not be doing so? No. Is what you're saying. Okay. No. I mean, in no. fairness, if you look at the free agent market, you're looking at a lot of guys that are either 30, older, or about to turn 30, uh, like me. 
And you might be thinking to yourself like, okay, well, you know, if you, if you wanted to go in the free agent market, who is available? Who's somebody that could maybe be attainable? Taylor Hall's not that guy. A, a guy that you had mentioned before um, as being a potential target for this team, Tyler Toffoli. Yeah, I think he's going to re-sign with Vancouver now, though. Okay. I was going to say, like, just, yeah. of all the guys that are out there that are forwards that maybe could could bring some kind of value, he might be the most realistic one. But again, you'd have to move legitimate cap probably to try to fit him in and also re-sign some of your impending free agents, which, you know, is he is he somebody who moves the needle all that much? Probably not. I think, no, I think an interesting, if you're looking for a forward that has a, that could be an interesting name, um, I would throw, and I don't even think this is, when I say interesting, it's only interesting in the sense that it's some not somebody from, you know, the organization currently. Um, but I think it would be someone like Michael Granlund, yep. who, you know, played for Chuck in Minnesota. Um, so Chuck has familiarity with him. Um, he had an okay season with Nashville, 30 points, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, if you're looking for like a bottom six forward who can play multiple positions, he can play center, he can play the wing. Um, that's the kind of player and he's still relatively, you know, he's not, he's not old. He's only, I think 28 years old. Um, yeah, problem is, is that he's not worth what his last salary was, which was, I believe, I think well, I think he made over six, but I think his cap hit was five seven or five eight something yeah. and something like that. Um, I, he's not worth that. So I mean, if he's looking for that kind of money, eh, 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 no, nah, ain't gonna happen. Well, and and even if you wanted to compare his stats this year versus last year, and I know that it was a shortened season, he played sixty three games for Minnesota last year and sixty three this year uh, for the Predators. In 63 games last year with Minnesota, he had 15 goals, 34 assists for a total of 49 points. In 63 games this year, he had 17 goals and 13 assists for 30. So he's he's down almost 20 points out of a 60. So he's down almost, what, 30, 33%. Um, now, obviously, it was a weird season. It was disjointed and everything, but that wasn't that, – that doesn't include any you – know, that's just the regular season up until the pause – so he had a slightly down season and and you're right like the money that he probably will come in i mean it's not a it's not a great forward market outside of taylor hall it really isn't a very good one you know last last summer rfas there were guys to be had or there were guys to offer sheet or there were guys that you theoretically could have tried to flirt with a, a little bit with an offer sheet putting a tender out there hoping that the guy might sign it and you're you're handing a poison pill to a team uh, it didn't happen last year because most GMs are gutless. So um, let's take a look. So you mentioned um, a little bit ago that um, some of the, the the players, you know, you're talking about the top end guys and about, um, you know, how how those players um, are going to factor into next year and that the, the top six are likely going to be the same or top nine are, are going to be more or less the same. And that kind of leads us to – an interesting set of quotes that came from head coach Elaine Vigneault. Well, before, before you get to Vigneault, there was one other thing that Chuck said in there that I wanted to, to touch on. Okay. One other little, little snippet. Okay. He talked about, he said, there are teams worse off than us. And then, and we're in a group of team and we're in a group that can, you know, probably, you know, get their, do their business that they need to do. Um, 
which is like you pointed out, they're about nine million under the cap, and they have some RFAs and got to move some money around. And but they could probably get this get this thing done, managed, you know, pretty handily for this season without much much of a problem. But then he threw something else in there where he said that there are teams who are spending less than the cap and or will will, will probably spend less than the cap because they're going to have like their own intern basically they're going to have their own internal cap that's not the league cap right um and that's an interesting thing to me because that me that tells me and I, you know we've already saw uh pit we've you know reports that Pittsburgh's going to be one of those teams um we know the Coyotes are going to be one of those teams um there there are a bunch of guys uh Russ or a bunch of teams that are um in trouble if, if, if you really want to you know, look at it well, from the perspective. So I was told, I was told I was having a conversation with this, with someone uh, recently who said the flyers and the flyers are one of the haves in the NHL. We know this, but the flyers live off of 50%, 50% of their revenue comes from the gate from people putting butts in seats. That's one of the best teams in the league. Now put your put your teams at the bottom. Look at the teams at the bottom. How much do you think they rely on gate revenue? Right? I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at it right now. So the the teams that are in the worst shape as of right now, projected, Anaheim has less than half a million dollars in projected cap space. Arizona, who you mentioned, is just over a million in cap space. Vegas, Vegas, St. Louis, and Tampa are all around five million. Toronto, six million. But keep in mind that with Tampa and with Toronto, Tampa only has 15 guys committed to their roster and they have five million. Toronto needs to fill five spots. They have six million. Columbus uh, has about seven million with one spot uh, uh, with, with uh, what, 22 guys committed. And then Carolina is just under eight. Chicago is at about eight Nashville at 8.2, but they're in a similar position. They have to, they have six contracts that they've got to fill in um, the capitals, 9 million. And uh, we got to talk about the capitals and our old friend uh, who betrayed us and uh, went there, you know, what's the problem now? I'll tell you what the problem is, Peter. You weren't supposed to do it. Okay. You weren't supposed to go down there. There was no reason for you to go down there. Peter Laviolette. No reason. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's no, go. You start playing with some jam. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> Russ is having fun with his new soundboard. <laughs> I'm having way too much fun. So I, I guess the, the point here is there are a lot of teams that have very little cap space and have plenty of spots that they have to fill probably internally or get into the, the market for the hockey trade. But, you know, maybe it's good news for the Flyers. A lot of the teams that have less cap space than them our fellow contenders, quote unquote, in the Eastern Conference: Carolina, Columbus, Toronto, Tampa. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll tell you what. And then you haven't even gotten to the teams at the bottom who have a ton of cap space and probably can't afford to even get to the floor. Like uh, Buffalo. Well, Buffalo's got thirty-three million. Jersey, space. like New uh, Jersey. Uh, yeah, uh, Jersey's got twenty-six million. Yeah. Detroit has been a flaming pile of garbage. They have 35 million in projected cap space. The Ottawa senators, a real powerhouse in the conference have almost 40 million in cap space. Yeah. Florida Panthers. We know how great the Florida Panthers fan base is 
21 million in cap space. It's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. So like what I'm saying, what I think that he was indicating was, is that even some of those teams, so some of those teams who have all that room. So you look at the, like, I look at, you know, Colorado, Colorado is a good team, right? They're just really young and talented and they got a bunch of guys that they got to sign um, to extensions and stuff. So even though they have 22 million in cap space, that's going to be you know pretty quick, but New Jersey, Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, those are teams you might be able to dump a salary on. Because they got to get to the floor, they have to operate at at least the floor. The floor is sixty million, right? So, you, you your minimum south salary cap has to be sixty. Your minimum salary to, for your team has to be sixty million dollars, which means Ottawa's eighteen million. They have to spend eighteen million to get there. <laughs> yes, they have to spend eighteen million dollars. Detroit's got to spend fifteen. Buffalo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they got to spend That's that not- money. Just to get to the floor. Just to get to the floor. So you're looking at these teams. Now, of course, you know, they're looking at it and saying, we're in the middle of a rebuild. We're rebuilding. Um, we'll take a bad contract, but you have to give us a high draft pick to, to go along with it. Teams are going to do that because teams are looking at it over the course of three years, and they're looking at what their cap space is going to be, and they know that they're not going to be able to exceed, you know, this $80 million threshold or whatever it is, $81, $81.5 million threshold. And they're like, man, we'll, we'll give up a draft pick because we, we have players we need to sign. And I'm not worried about a player who, you know, might be on this team five years from now. I got to worry about the next five years, right? So those, th- those are the teams that I think are going to be the most interesting in this offseason to see what they do. Because they got to get to the floor. But then even then, they're going to probably not operate at much higher than that. Like, I don't think – any of the Canadian teams, as bad as the Canadian dollar is right now, like I don't think Winnipeg is going to operate anywhere close to the cap. I don't think Calgary is going to operate. That's why you keep hearing Johnny Hockey's name come up. You know, why would Calgary trade Johnny Gaudreau, who's on a, a pretty team-friendly contract, right? Why would they trade him? Um, doesn't make any sense. Well, if the finances are that bad and it saves you the money, then maybe that's why they would. Yeah. I, now, I don't think from a pure hockey perspective they, would, they, they will do it. But if they could get the value that that they feel they can get for him, and if a team can make room for a six and a half million dollar contract, then maybe, maybe he gets moved. But I, I, yeah, I mean, like, there's going to be a lot of interesting things happening in hockey this year, uh, this off season. It's going to be a crazy October. It really is because who knows? Who knows? You know, who can who can have be the haves and the have-nots? Who's got enough in the bank? to be able to survive a full year without hot, without attendance and who doesn't. And I don't think that there's many teams that can, I think that you're probably looking at, you know, the top 10 can the next 10 struggle and the bottom 10 are like, Holy cow, we might not be able to field a a team if this goes much longer. Well, I guess the interesting thing is going to be, and, and let me, let me try to transition again, but not the one that I was going for before. Yeah. We can get to that eventually. I'm going to go to a different one. So you think about what's a sweetener in a deal. And we talked about this um, on, I think it was the Press Row Show. I th- and I think it was a couple of times before the season ended. There's an interesting player in theory who could be looked at as a sweetener in a deal. If you're a team that maybe is like an Ottawa, that, that you're, you know, you need to spend money to get to the floor, but you want to take something on, you want to get something that's of value. And maybe it's not just a draft pick. Maybe you want to have a guy that has once been 
you know, highly touted, was a, a top prospect, and now all of a sudden can come available to you at a low price. That guy's potentially Nolan Patrick, who is an impending RFA. And I thought Chuck Fletcher's answer to this question about Nolan Patrick's future was interesting. So I, I want to I get to Chuck Fletcher. Go ahead, play it. Here we go. Well, uh, yeah, his situation's a little bit, uh, is certainly unique, and we'll have to work through that with, with the agent. We haven't started that process. The focus right now has just been on getting Nolan back to full health. And uh, as I noted earlier, he continues to feel better and, and, and perform more activities uh, off the ice and on the ice. Uh, he's sleeping better. So we feel that his health is improving, and that's obviously been the foremost concern. Um, I, I don't know if I want to get into answering that question and talking about individual contracts, but obviously every contract has, has its own challenges when you're doing a negotiation, and that certainly makes it tougher. But at this point, uh, you know, our goal is to get him back on the ice and get his career going. And I, have very, I have a lot of confidence that if we can do that and no one plays to his potential that, you know, down the road he's going to be a man that should be able to sign some nice contracts. Do you consider that a, a glowing endorsement of the former number two overall pick who, you know, pe- I get it. You know, people get really excited because they're like, well, he, he was number two overall. He was consensus number one, yada, yada, yada. And the, the number one thing that I've seen, and it's driven me nuts, driven me crazy, is I've seen people since probably, I, I guess, game four, of the series against the Islanders and, and then on when people were like, Oh, you know, so things probably over was this notion that oh, wait till next year when Oscar and Patty are back, that's going to be the thing that's going to carry this team. Oscar Lindblom who came back from a cancer diagnosis and played in the postseason, And even if he wasn't going to, the team said, you know, essentially his value to being around the team, even though he couldn't spend like the first, what, week and a half with the team in the Toronto bubble because he went back to uh, Sweden to spend time with his family and friends to, to celebrate, to be, you know, excited about the fact that he had completed his chemotherapy and his, and his treatment. They were fine with Oscar not playing for at least those first two weeks. And realistically, not until the, what, game six, of the Eastern Conference semifinal. Nolan Patrick, who, you know, I guess they just deemed was never going to be able to play in the postseason. There wasn't even a shred of hope. Whereas with Oscar, there was at least a shred of hope. They didn't deem him to be one of the essential personnel to go with the team. Now, I think there was a provision that they could have taken him along and not had him count as a roster player, or at worst, he would have taken the spot of like one of the black aces. They didn't deem him being with the team in the bubble important enough for him to be up there. And I think that is a thing that has gotten overlooked. And I think that in a lot of cases, people are like, well, that's just being a hater that you would point something like that out. But it's being a realist. The black aces, not all of those guys were going to play. Not all of them did play, right? The, the only way that some of those guys were going to get to play is if catastrophe had befallen the Flyers. 
and they still deemed that Nolan Patrick traveling with the team wasn't an important thing. Either the team decided that, Nolan Patrick decided that, or Nolan Patrick's team decided that. And where, where has Nolan been working out, skating, etc.? We don't know. Well, I, we do know. You don't know the answer. I'll tell you. If, I'll, I'll tell you and see if you can start putting some pieces together here. He's originally from Manitoba, just outside of Winnipeg. That's where he's been skating. That's where he's been at this entire time. So he's going to the Jets. Well, I mean, here's the thing. And I'm not saying that, you know, I, I don't have any information to say that, oh, no, you know, Chuck Fletcher's talked to the Jets and going to work out a deal, right? But here's a couple things. One, uh, we do know that when Chuck first got here, one of the names that we that we heard kind of, you know, being floated around that never came to fruition as a player who might come to the Flyers in a trade was uh, Nikolai Ehlers. Yep. Right? Now, he's since signed a contract extension with the Jets, five years, $30 million. Okay. And you know that the, but we've also heard now since the, the pause, and we know the Jets are trying to shed some salary, that they might move Patrick Line, who's got one year left on his contract, $6.75 million, and then he's an RFA. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that you trade Nolan Patrick straight up for either one of those guys, because you're going to have to move some salary to, to do it as well. Sure. But is it possible? that you put Patrick in a deal with Shane Gostisbehere, for example, because they need help on, they need help on defense. They need help on defense in Winnipeg. Really, they got Josh Morrissey and a bunch of nobodies there. They've, they've only got four defensemen under contract for next year, uh, and, and two of them are making like less than a million bucks. So you, could put, you put Gostisbehere – uh, and his salary, and you put Nolan Patrick, and you get pretty close to Nick Ehlers, don't you? You do. You, you're not quite at line A, but you could probably make that work too if, if you wanted to go that route. Is that a hockey trade? It's a hockey trade. Okay. I don't know if it's a good trade for Winnipeg, but it's, it's a hockey trade. Well, but I think, that, I think what, at the very least, I think Winnipeg looks at it and says, the kid seems to like being here. Patrick was never around the Flyers during this whole thing. He was home. He was skating in Winnipeg. Like, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say he was never around the Flyers. He was around the team when he first was diagnosed with it. And like, then he was skating and then he would disappear for a while. And then he'd come back and he would skate some more. And then he'd disappear for a while. And then COVID happened. And then he went home to, to Manitoba and he hasn't left since. He hasn't crazy. been back with the he team was, since. I thought he was around Skate Zone right yeah. before right as the, as the team came back from COVID. I thought he was there for about a week. And then he, I could be wrong. He might have. He might have made a quick – he might have. He might have made a quick arrival. I mean, I don't remember, to be honest with you. But for the most part, he spent – let's just say, I think it's fair to say that since COVID, he spent about 90% of the time in, Winni- in Winnipeg area. And I guess this comes back to, like, how much do you want to see from your players who aren't in how much do you want to see from them supporting their team? And somebody had, had reached out to me. I think it was after 
it might have been the Montreal series. There was a big win, or it might have been the, the Islander series. I don't remember now. But big win, overtime win. I think it was the Islander series. Big overtime win. And if you went on a Nolan Patrick's Instagram, there wasn't anything that was like, yo, get it, boys. There wasn't anything celebrating the win. There wasn't like that, that typical, like, take a picture of the final score and be like, we're back in this. It was, he got a new mattress. And somebody reached out to me and they're like, what the hell is this? Like, if, yeah. if we were honest, if we were comparing this, right? If, if the Sixers were in a decent playoff run and Ben Simmons, who was injured, it actually happened. He didn't play in the postseason. If the Sixers had come back and won an overtime game against Boston and Ben Simmons was posting about getting a mattress or about his like deal to play pub pub G pug pug B one or the other, not Fortnite. The other one, if he had done that, he would have been crucified. And yet the number two overall pick who hasn't been around the team, who the team apparently didn't deem valuable enough as a, as a guy to be around the team, to go with the team into the bubble. I, I, I don't get it. I don't. So all this love that people have, it's like a one-way street. Some people are sending this love. And like, if, if you dare say that, you know, the guy might not have a future with the organization. It's like you're, it, it's like you're hanging Bobby Clark in front of City Hall. Like, can we be real for a second? Like, it's a young guy who was probably rushed to the NHL level. We've talked about this a bunch of times. It was a pick that wasn't unanimous in the room. It was a pick that you have noted multiple times. Scouts did not agree with. And I don't care, by the way, because this, the last time that we brought this up on the show, and it wasn't the Press Row show, and we put it on, on this feed, we brought this up, and somebody said, well, he was the... He was a consensus number one overall pick by pundits, by pundits, not necessarily by the scouts in each team's organization. And there is a difference. There's a distinct difference that you have to draw between your analysts on TV who do their own version of scouting and the people who, you know, feed them information because there's no way that every national, you know, pundit is able to go and watch enough film on enough of these top prospects to be able to come up with as valuable of a, um, a determination or a grade on a guy's ability, performance, and, and future potential as the people who actually get paid to be scouts. There is a distinct difference between those evaluations and those of scouts. And you've noted multiple times that it was not consensus in that room and that Ron Hextall ultimately was the one who decided that, you know what, we have enough organizational depth defensively we don't need to take a defenseman. This guy, I want this guy. I will take this guy. And maybe it was because he wanted butts and seats. Maybe it was because we saw that attendance had dropped and the thought was, hey, if I bring this 19-year-old kid in, if he's decent enough to play, that will get some butts and seats. While we're still in the midst of a rebuild, this will do it. By the way, and it's not that this matters, I brought this up once before about another player, but like Nolan Patrick's a good-looking dude. A lot of people are kind of drawn, and it, it doesn't mean that like you have to think that he's a he's a cute guy that isn't a shot at the 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 women or the men who are you know interested in in Nolan Patrick being cute. But like there is a thing that like a lot of times if you look at a guy, if you look at a player, you kind of look at a player and you say like, yeah, that guy looks like he's going to be good. 
he's got like that face or he's got that build to be a good player. You look at Nolan Patrick's frame, you look at him, he looks like a guy who should be an elite hockey player. For whatever reason, that's the way that people, I think, perceive him. If he looked like a, like a potato and he were shaped like a potato, I don't think anybody would care all that much. But this is part of it. Go ahead. Yeah, I, so I, I'm not going to sit here and say with 100% certainty that Nolan Patrick won't play for the Flyers again. But I think there's a better than 50-50 chance that he doesn't. That said, he could because of COVID, because of the fact that things are so uncertain with the NHL now, I think that there's a potential that plans could change for the Flyers. And it was interesting, you know, Fletcher also talked, he talked about Patrick a couple times during that press conference. And um, I, just listening to him, I, you know, at, I, at first I'm like, yeah, they don't, they don't like, they don't want him involved in this team anymore. But then there were a couple times where I said, eh, maybe they're willing to give him a shot because they don't know if they can, you know, what they can do at this point. And so maybe, you know, he is an NHL player. Maybe they can convince him to, you know, to care enough to play here um, and, and be in that, you know, bottom six and, and produce. And maybe eventually one day you develop into that player that everyone thought he was going to be. Who knows? I think that there is the, the potential for both things happening. Let's just put it that way. Um, I think there's a potential for him to be part of a hockey trade, to bring somebody else in, and I think that it's almost as equal a chance that nothing happens and Nolan Patrick is re-signed to a one-year prove-it deal, um, show us that you want to play and that you're capable of playing and staying healthy, and then we'll address a more long-term contract uh, after that season. I think that's also a possibility. So um, it, it, to me, that's going to be the biggest drama the fl- for the Flyers that plays out in October um, is going to see how that, the, how that all works. His dad represents him, doesn't he? <sighs> yes. I think that's, that's the case. Yes. Am I crazy? Wasn't there a, uh, wasn't there a, a high pick who once had a dad who represented him and it all went to hell in a handbasket <laughs> real fast. I'm trying to think who it was. Yeah, this, this guy is not this guy is not that guy. Yeah, I feel like that guy. I feel like the other guy had established himself, was truly spectacular. Oh, weird. I, I just the name, the name, I just can't think of it. Really strange. Anyway, um it I it, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. I mean if there's one damning thing here. It's, I said all along he wasn't going to play the season. And then COVID happened. And then I think a lot of people thought, you know what, these extra few months, hopefully they're going to be able to get things squared away medically and he'll be able to at least skate with the team. And that, that to me is the thing that I just keep coming back to that makes me think that this organization doesn't think of him as a long-term building block of the organization. He's been skating. Chuck Fletcher said he's been skating. He's been getting himself back to a normal sense of life. Why does he not travel with the team into the bubble? He doesn't have to fly to get to Toronto. Why is he not in the bubble with the team? Well, he would have had to fly to get to Toronto from Winnipeg. 
but from it's a short Winnipeg. flight. No, no, no. From Winnipeg, he would have. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But if he, I, I'm like I said, I'm pretty sure that he was in Voorhees before the second camp started back up. And from that point, we wouldn't have to. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Let's get to the thing I wanted to get to before, which was Elaine Vino talked about players on this team who are vets. And, you know, we talked about the potential that James Van Riemsdyk is a guy whose name, you know, you want to talk about a guy who has a, a large salary, still has something to give, can still be a goal scorer, although streaky. He was a name that came up, as was Jake Voracek, but most notably Claude Giroux's name came up as being uh, somebody who there was a question of, you know, was this a situation where Claude Giroux really fell off? And is there a concern that he's going to continue to fall off here in the future over the next few years while he's still under contract? And Elaine Vigneault had an answer to that, and then you jumped in and decided to derail the whole press conference and, you know, really upset Elaine Vigneault friend of the show. And so we're going to get to that right now. There's no doubt that, um, I mean, and there should be no doubt in anybody's mind about his, his will to be successful and, uh, you know, his will to help his teammates. I, I do agree with that. He is getting older. He's got an opportunity right now, since we're in pause, you know, the, the whole world right now is paused to, take these next month and, uh, you know, really work at his, as, at his conditioning and, and probably, you know, find the time to, 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 to slow, to slow uh, science. He's getting older. As you get older, you know, the, 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 the muscles don't react as quick, but you can work on that. And, 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 and he's going to have to put in a, a lot of time and effort. I do believe there's some areas after, having gone through with, with Claude, his first playoffs, I do believe there's some areas that I can help him with where he can perform better. I need to see him face-to-face and sit down. I haven't had that opportunity. Uh, he's one of those guys that because we're in the same region that I'll be able to talk to uh, in the next while face-to-face here. Uh, I need to talk to him first. And obviously the comments that I'm going to have with him and he's going to have with me are going to be per, uh, uh, on a personal level. So we're not going to share that. But I can tell you on the record very directly that I do believe that he can play better, he can perform better, and uh, in Claude, he'll put in the time and the effort to do it. Okay, we'll take one more question. And then here comes Anthony, Anthony Sampolopo from you're the top coach. row. Go ahead. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Uh, uh, Av, you, you just made mention um, of uh, Claude needing more. Con- it could be better conditioned. Uh, just out of curiosity, do you think that conditioning for the entire team was different? Not necessarily worse or better, but different once you guys came back from where you guys were pre-pause. I'm not sure what you heard from my answer. I. Oh, yeah, I, you know, when, when I say Claude and conditioning, Claude's an individual that takes tremendous care of himself physically. I'm saying right now, because he's getting older, he's getting older, Jake Voracek is getting older, uh, JVR is getting older, you know, life is life. As you get older, yeah. you know, it catches up to you. 
So they have to spend more time. Maybe they have to find new needs to slow the natural evolution that we will all go through. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Is there's there's a, a way for him to, to try and, and slow what happens to all of us as, as we get older. Uh, I if I if I understood the second part of your question properly, because of the uh, COVID situation, because of the halts, we you know players were privileged to different ways to train. Uh, depending on where you were, everything was shut down. The gyms were shut down. So obviously, when we got the players back, we had a short amount of time to get everybody going the best way we could, depending on what we had done. Uh, once you start playing, you know, I think we played 17 games in, in 30 days. It's play, play, play. It's hard to, to work on, on that aspect. So, you know, I don't think we were any different than anybody else. I, I have heard some teams were able to do more during the COVID shutdown than maybe our guys were because of the, the facilities they had available to them. But, hey, that's what it was for everybody. You have to deal with it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was a learning experience for everyone. And now we're going to get ready for next year. And I, I can guarantee you with what we've all learned, uh, we're, we're going to put the pieces together to, to challenge for that cup. Elaine Vigneault wants all the veterans shipped out, taken out, put out to pasture, taken behind the barn, and just... So the thing for me, Russ, that, that was... I think at the end is when he gets most honest. I mean, he's honest throughout the whole thing, right? I mean, he really is. But I think he's most honest there at the end when he says, yeah, I heard that some other teams might have had an opportunity to work out more than we did because of the facilities that were available to them. Uh, but we just have to deal with it. And we all learned what, you know, we all learned something from this. We got to take it away. And, you know, now we know what we got to do to go out there and go after the cup. And this was based off a question about conditioning. So there was, there's evident, to me, I think it becomes really apparent that the team looked at it and said, the reason we weren't able to do the things that we did in February and March in August was because we were not as well conditioned in August as we were in February and March. And that's not a knock. I don't want to make that seem like, and that's why when I asked the question, I said, was it not that it was good or bad, but that it was different? And what I was, tr what I was tr hoping that he would take that and, and, and say what I've kind of been told, which is this. The Flyers trained during the pause no differently than they would have trained in any other offseason. Okay? And this is one of the – I asked Nate Thompson about this. Um, on the, on his availability. And he said, no, I, we, we were, I was for pretty good. I felt, I think we all felt pretty good. Like we had a typical off season training and that was kind of important for him to say that because that's how they approached it. So when you have your normal off season training and these guys are, are elite athletes, I'm not trying to say that they're lazy or anything like that. They are busting their rear ends all summer long and staying in tip top condition because they have to, that's their, that's what they're getting paid to do. Okay. But there's a difference between training in the off-season and then ramping yourself up for the start of a season, which is then going to be an 82-game grind 
and you want to be hitting your stride in the spring when you're getting ready for the playoffs and getting yourself into condition in the offseason and getting ready to come play a playoff series. It's a little bit of a difference there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the lesson that they learned. That's the lesson. That's what he was, that's what he meant by that. Um, That there was something there that just was a little bit different for this team. Now, if we want to get into the Claude Giroux thing, we can, and I think it's a worthy discussion. And he mentioned Voracek and he mentioned JPR. And of course, like you said, it's almost like, oh yeah, there he goes. You know, saying the veterans didn't, yeah, they need to be in better shape. Um, and we can talk about that. But I think that the real story here, the real underlying thing, and I think that that's why he kind of reacted to my question the way that he did, is that, yeah, they weren't as well-conditioned as either Montreal or the Islanders for a playoff. Hmm. Okay, That those teams were better conditioned for a playoff. Mm-hmm. The Flyers trained as if it was just we're leading into another season and we're ready to go mm-hmm. kind of thing. Big difference. So what, so what you're saying is the Flyers' effort to get ready for the season was crap, and it led to them not having the requisite energy needed to sustain a long no. playoff run. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's what you're saying. What I'm saying is, is that their, their plan, their workout plan, was probably not the best plan. Yeah, they screwed up. But that, I don't know if you put that on the players. Do you put that on the training staff? Do you, who do you put that everybody. on? I mean, right? I think it's a little bit. I think it's a little bit. But I, what I'm saying is, is that I, I don't think that they intentionally did, you know, took it easy. I don't think that they loafed. I don't think that they, you know, eh, I'm not going to, I don't feel like working out today. I don't think that was the thing at all. I just think that their approach to it was, it's, we have five months off. We're not going to be skating. Let's take it. Let's work on these things. And let, and it was kind of like that slow build up that you get. And that eventually once you start skating again, you'll get, get your legs back and you'll be able to skate. Blah, blah, blah. But they really only had three games to get their legs back. Right. They had a, they had a couple weeks worth of practice, whatever their training camp was in July. And then three games that were basically exhibition games. That was it. And then they had to play playoffs. Whereas the other teams, I think the other teams looked at it and said, man, we got to go into this thing. And the first game we play is, is kind of a do or die, puts us in a do or die situation, you know? And so like they had to be in that, peak physical condition right away they didn't have the oh well we have a few games to kind of get our legs Mm -hmm. and I think that that approach was just it might be slightly different it might be just a hair different but that you always hear general managers in sports talk about you know finding these little advantages in the margins right well that's an advantage in the margin that's that's certainly one that's that's very real and it was one that was unique because this has never happened before. And it's one that, that reared its head for the Flyers, unfortunately, in the, in the playoffs. And, I don't th- and, I, and, and that's why I look at it and say confidently that next season with this same group, they can be better. Because by that point, they will be back into that conditioned situation that they were in in February and March. Well, that, that to me, if, if we're going to talk about like what's the one thing that really impacted this team that legitimately screwed them up, it was that they 
especially late in the season, they were better conditioned than the opposition. We talked how many times about the fact yeah. that they just they would just grind through the first period, the second period, and then by the third period, they had fresh legs, and the opposition just looked like they were skating in molasses. Yeah. So the question comes back to, is it on the team? Is it on the coaching staff? Is it on the training staff? Is it on the players? And I think that it's, it's fair to say that at that point, you put it on everybody. And I know that like, this is the thing that bothered me, and, and maybe it shouldn't have, but it did. There were guys who said when we, were, when we were initially talking to players when they came back from the pause, and the question had come up about, you know, besides, you know, was Kevin Hayes a good, a good locker room guy? Jesus. Um, <laughs> the question was, you know, have you done much skating? And there were certain guys who I'm not going to name now who said at the time, well, you know, it was hard to find a rink, which is B to the S, my dude. And why? You're an NHL player. There are hockey rinks near where you live. If you expect me to believe that the owner of a local hockey rink wasn't going to open their rink for you to get some skating in, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. I refuse to buy it. I will not buy it. And this isn't a matter of, you know, the rink was afraid that they were going to, you know, face some kind of a, a backlash from their local government or face a fine. You can open up, not have the entire facility open. You don't have to have all the lights on. You could have gotten onto a sheet of ice. Some guys did, and they made it a priority, including Ivan Provorov, who we'll get to here in a second. He talked about the fact that, like, he did not stop skating. And, you know, maybe his circumstances were different, but again, if you want to find a facility, you can find a facility. And it wasn't just a situation where there was one small place that had one rink. So I don't buy that. And I didn't buy it then. And if the idea here now is that some guys didn't take it as seriously or they thought that they were going to, you know, by virtue of just kind of preparing the way they would normally prepare for a season, if they thought that that was what was going to be, you know, sufficient, they were out of their minds. And I think that is where you can come back and say, you can be disappointed. Like if, that is the, if that's the argument now, if that's the idea, then that's a real indictment. Like to me, that's an indictment of some of the players for not doing a better job of keeping themselves conditioned. And it's also on the training staff and on the coaching staff for not making that potentially, we don't know, we don't hack their emails, but not making that more of a priority with these guys to figure out a way as an organization to, to, to try to leverage a little bit to get these guys onto the ice. I, I, I think it was more of a, more of an, I don't want to say it's an oversight. I guess an oversight. I guess it was an oversight. Pretty bad oversight. If, well, in the sense if, that if the it, opposition, it, if the other teams that you had to go up against had, had the foresight to realize that they needed to stay in better condition because when they came back, it was going to be do or die for them. If those teams were able to put that together and then your team didn't because you knew that you were going to be in that top four and you're going to be in a round robin and you thought that like, hey, the ramp up, we have these few exhibition games and we're going to be swell. That's a very, I would say it's a miscalculation. It's a gross so, miscalculation. So I think, and I think that the thing of it is, is that here's where the miscalculation comes in. We, we've said it the Flyers took those three games seriously, mm -hmm. right? I mean, they went 3-0. They played great hockey in those three games. They took it seriously. Mm -hmm. Their opposition did not. 
And so by the opposition not taking it seriously, the Flyers did not have to expend the energy needed to understand what the level was going to be like once they got into the playoff, whereas their two opponents had it from day one because they had to have it from day one. You see what I'm saying? So I think that that's, that was where the miscalculation was. It, was. it wasn't that we were poorly prepared. It was more that, wow, we didn't get the kind of pushback that we thought we were going to get, and now all of a sudden we hit the playoffs and we're playing against teams that are already a level ahead of us. Mm-hmm. The Flyers were more talented than Montreal, which is why they were able to win that series, but the Islanders just choked them, you know, just, just you know, utterly smothered them and stop them from, you know, beat the Flyers. And that was it. And, and so I think what it is is it's, you know, they were, they were just a step ahead because they had to play do-or-die games against Florida, although Florida looked terrible. They had to play do-or-die games against Washington, and Washington looked terrible. Why did Washington look terrible? Because they didn't take the three-round robbing game seriously, right? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, th- there's a lot to that, you know? I mean, when you look at you look at some of those teams that were in the top fours in both conferences, not everybody, but they not, how many of them really look great? I mean, Dallas has stunned everybody. Mm-hmm. Dallas has stunned everyone. They had been the one team where you sit there and go, "Wow, that was the one team that kind of and that was in the top eight that you were like I, they were probably the weakest of the top eight, and they are going to the Stanley Cup final. Tampa was the most talented. We all knew that, right? So that's no surprise that they're that they're still going. But, you know, the Flyers were just okay. Boston didn't look good. Washington didn't look good. St. Louis didn't look good. Um, Colorado had some injuries. I mean, I think that's what, not, that's what derailed them. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's really what it became. It's like those teams, and, you know, we talked about this, Russ, when they, when they put this playoff system out. And I'm not knocking the NHL because this is what they, they had to come up with something, Right. Yeah, but they would have been better. They would have been better off. Everything would have been better off if those open, if those play-in rounds instead of being a best of five were a best of seven. If they were a best of seven and the top four teams played round robin six games instead of three, played everybody twice, right? To be on kind of on par with what a seven-game series would be. I think that some of those top teams would have performed better. It's fair, but, but by the way it turned out, the way it, the way it was. The t- you, put, you put the top teams behind an eight ball mm-hmm. and said, let your talent outwin this. And only Tampa and Dallas, who is a surprise, have, have, been able to, have really been able to, to make that happen. Yep. Other, other than that, the rest of them look, didn't look great. Yep. So we mentioned the bubble, everything that happened in the bubble. And you mentioned this off the top of the show about the 2020 and 2021 season. Maybe it just becomes the 2021 season. Mm-hmm. And potentially there, is a, there are some things floating around that maybe the league will look to start the season in a bubble. And so when we were able to talk to Ivan Provorov, I asked him about the potential of starting the, the next season in the bubble and if he's open to it. So here we go. So after experiencing playing in the bubble without fans and then knowing of course what it's like to play with fans if in theory if next season had to start in a bubble again and then eventually vaccine happens and then you can start playing again do you think that that you and other players would be 
open to the idea of starting the season in a bubble and then eventually transitioning back into playing in your home arena? Or is it something where you would almost rather wait until you can just immediately start playing back in Philadelphia and playing in front of fans again? I mean, that's, you know, it's a difficult question. I mean, you know, playing at home in front of our fans is, you know, always great. They give us so much energy. Uh, you know, personally, when kind of when the game starts, um, you know, I'm in the game. I don't really hear the outside noise or what's going on. Uh, you know, my 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 main focus is on the game. So, to me, I think uh, personally, I think for me, it would be okay if we if if we have to do that and kind of uh, start the season in the bubble again. But I mean, we have to, you know, uh, be a group decision i assume and uh you know we would have the majority would have to agree to that and then honestly we'll see what happened but you know personally i think um taking too much time you know off would be uh you know hard for the guys to come back so i think uh if we have to do that again uh at least for the start i don't think it's a bad idea that's interesting Yes, it is. I think there's a lot to dissect in there. So let me let me just say, you want to talk about a guy who took the whole thing seriously and who took keeping his conditioning up seriously and wanted to make sure that he was the best conditioned guy on the ice and could play uh, a, a massive amount of minutes and could be relied upon and was ready when this team came back and was ready from day one, was ready for the first game of the round robin, was ready throughout. It was Ivan Provorov. And if I were Ivan Provorov and I put all that work in and then I saw what some of my teammates had or hadn't done and the conditioning that they had or hadn't done, I'd be pretty pissed off. And I will say that the general feeling, and I, you know, we come back to native language versus second or third language and some of the nuance that's lost in translation or, or is lost when a guy is trying to express himself. I got the feeling in that, press conference um that he is he is frustrated that the season ended like it it did and i think that there is a little bit of frustration that maybe he perceives that the amount of work that he put in wasn't met by the rest of the squad maybe i don't know if he would ever come out and say that though he won't he won't come out why would he doesn't make sense to you have to read body language, and, and obviously we're doing a podcast here, so you can't see. We have the video, I think. Um, you know, he, he's not opposed. He said he's not opposed to playing in the bubble. He did kind of mention it would have to be a majority, which makes you think that, like, you know what? Maybe the, the thought, uh, if you remember back to when they took the initial RTP vote and also the extension of the CBA, that – it maybe wasn't as close as we might have expected it to have been that maybe the, the conversations the guys had had after the fact were more of a, God, I know, I hope we never have to do this again. You know, I, I do have, there's a little bit of audio clip here of what he, um, what he thought of the bubble going in versus what it ended up being. And, and he did talk about the fact that there was a lot for the guys to do, but Ivan Provorov doesn't have kids. And we talked about the human element of being away from your family for so long, especially from little kids. And you feel like that probably weighed on the minds of some guys. 
um, being away from your spouse, all, all of that. I, I don't get the feeling that there that he thinks that there are maybe as many guys that would be as open and willing to starting the season in a bubble. What did you take from that? I think that you're, you interpreted Provrov's sentiment accurately. Um, but I do know that it's something that the NHL is considering. Um, they would prefer to start playing hockey in December. We've already heard that the initial plan, which was like right at the beginning of December, December 1st, December 2nd, somewhere in there, that that's not, no longer going to happen. But they haven't ruled out playing games in December yet. Mm-hmm. They're kind of kind of wait and see, play it by ear kind of thing. And, you know, the NHL really handled COVID well. Um, the, whole, the whole bubble process has been great. And, mm-hmm. and how they, you know – they picked the, just the right time to announce things and just the right time to say where the bubbles were going to be and everything else. Like the NHL really did a nice job with this. I, I think that they would ultimately like to restart their season right around Christmas and really take advantage of the week between Christmas and New Year when people are home and they're going to be looking for something to watch and to have those games be available for people, right? And they can. And if they do it in a bubble, you can do like you did for the start of the playoffs, where there were games all day long, right? I mean, if it's during a week when people, most people are not working, you can have games at noon and two and f- five and seven thirty and ten o'clock, and be like, "Holy cow, this is awesome!" And you just have all this hockey on all day, every day, right? But like Provorov said, it's going to take the Players Association being on board with that. And I'm not certain that they would be. So then you have to wonder, and this is something that I you know, talk to someone who would know, if you're not getting your gate, can these teams operate? Can these teams actually put a team on the ice and pay their players and pay their employees if they're not making any money for a year? And that's a big question. That's a big if. The bubble is not cheap. It's, it's, it's expensive, right? I mean, you've got to put up all these teams in hotels and, you know, cordon off the area so that nobody can come in or out. There's a lot to that. I think that the NHL touts itself constantly updating, hey, we had yet another week of testing with no COVID, you know, no positive COVID tests. Yep. Look at this. Look at, look at how good, look at how well we've handled this. This bubble thing works. And I think they do that because they would be willing to, the league would be willing to do it again to start the next season. I think they want everybody to know how successful and remind you how successful it's been so that if when they promote it and when they throw it back out there and say, hey, this is how we're going to have to start our season, you know, we're okay with it as fans. Every, you know, teams feel more comfortable with it. Players feel more comfortable with it. Um, but I think that the players are going to push back and say, we want to bring our families. We want to bring our, you know, our wives and kids or we want whatever. We want to have some kind of thing there. And there's going to have to be some kind of agreement if possible. Or do they run out of room and they're not able to do it? Or what's the money situation? And there's a lot that's going to play into it. And frankly, I think because of 
of money. And I, everything that this league has always done has been because of money. And when I look back at like the, the year without hockey, the, the 04, 05 season that did not happen, didn't happen because small market franchises were bleeding money because the big market franchises kept winning and they needed a salary cap. And it was all about a couple of, you know, seven or eight teams who were like, we, we're, we can't survive, so let's shut down for a year until we get what we want. And Bettman made it happen. I, I think that we're going to be in a similar situation. Might be a few more than seven or eight teams. Might be 10 to 12 teams that have a financial concern, a major financial concern. They're all financially concerned, but a major financial concern who sit there and say, we can't start this season until we can put people back in the stadium and not just 20% of the arena either. Like we got to put real butts in seats again and start bringing in revenue. So the, the start of the NHL season, while I think your question was, was great and it was a good idea. And I know is one that the league is thinking about may not really ultimately end up happening because of the financial situation of the league and how slim the profit margins are. And we may not see after the Stanley cup final, we may not see hockey again until we're allowed to put fans in stands. Well, thanks for crapping on everything, Anthony. And that <laughs> is a good time for us to, uh, wow. God. Well, there's only one thing that can brighten the mood, and that's five-star reviews. <laughs> we need five-star reviews. Yeah, we got a bunch, man. We're up to um, we're up to 145 five-star ratings over on Apple Podcasts across four countries. <laughs> and uh, sorry, I'm just it's a lot. It's a lot to take it. Listen, if 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 you're a little choked up, Russ. If we don't see a little verklempt. If yeah. Uh, Hot, moist, and verklempt. If I, like, if we don't get to see hockey until like February, March, April, do they just cancel the season? They won't cancel the season. I don't think they'll cancel the season. I think you'll see, I think you'll, you would see a, uh, a, a hybridized shortened season that, again, extends beyond the normal end date. Yeah. Um, By the because, way. Because they know they can do summer hockey again. Yeah. Well, and then try and hope 21-22 you can get back on normal schedule. Listen, the idea of trying to work out a unique TV deal where maybe you're trying to leverage uh, some national contracts. I mean, obviously, you're going to have your RSN deals that are, are going to be in place, but they're going to need to be reworked if you're not going to play an 82-game season. Um, the idea of having hockey potentially available from like 10 a.m., until 11 p.m. again and seeing that across the league and seeing as many of those games being on national tv as possible that's a good way to try to build some some solid equity with your regular hockey fans and then with the casual sports fan yeah but how ti- how tired did you get of seeing the adina menzel geico commercial god <laughs> taxidermy <laughs> Next attorney. I'm ready for go. Yeah, yeah. Sarah. I really. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they got to they got to have more than like three sponsors playing the same commercials over and over again. <laughs> Too much. Too much. Yeah. Anyway, five star reviews. We've got three three new ones. They made Anthony smile. 
So we're going to take a look at them really quickly here. Uh, first one, I believe, first new one is from Mike from Arizona. That's the name of it. Mike outed himself as just being Mike from Arizona. We didn't have like a catchy thing like, read this review. It was Mike from Arizona. <laughs> I really enjoy listening to your coverage of the Flyers and the back and forth banter between you two. Thank you. No, thank you, Mike from Arizona. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it. I don't know if I enjoy the back and forth banter as much as Mike from Arizona did, but thank you, Mike. We appreciate you checking in and reviewing the show. Imagine what it's like, Mike, when we're sitting actually right next to each other and not over Zoom. Yeah. The next one is from JW Hope 28 This one came to us from Australia. Ah. Do I do my Australian? I'm not doing it. I, re- I refuse. Love these guys. Great show. Couple of great dudes. Love it. I mean, got to throw back a Foster's for that, right? I think, you know, I I think assuming we start doing shirts at some point, we start doing uh, some kind of uh, memorabilia. I I like that as a review. I I could see that being the shirt. Snow the goalie on the front, and then the back is just great show, couple of great dudes. Love it. (laughs) I love it. I'd wear that shirt. You'd wear that shirt. I mean, I'm wearing my good. I'm wearing my good talk Russ shirt right now. Uh, final one here is from Poseidon three one two. This one's from the U.S. Fantabulous, great word. This podcast is just fantabulous. The insider insight from Anthony is unmatched, and the everyman take from Russ is a really nice balance. Between that and the insane number of high-profile guests they get to come on, it's a must-listen. Give it a shot. You will not be disappointed if you like the Flyers. Cheers. Thank you, Poseidon. Thank you. Good stuff. Thank you. Good stuff. Poseidon there uh, did a nice job mentioning high-profile guests, and it just so happens that we're in talks with a high-profile guest who may or may not be appearing in the next two weeks. Of course, Mike Keenan. No, not Mike Keenan. Somebody bigger, a bigger name. And if you go- Bigger than Mike Keenan, huh? Oh, I think so. For people like me, yes, much bigger name. Hmm, interesting. 100%. 100%. Not even close. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely right. Um, if you go back to when we did the NHL pause, you look at, at the list of guests that we had. And by the way, if, if you're new to the show or you didn't have a chance to go back in the archive and check out Chris Pronger or Ken Hitchcock or Craig Berube or Danny Briere or Mike Knubel or Poulin or Prop or Deneen, who am I missing? We had Settlemeyer on at one point, the uh, former equipment manager. I think we're going to have him on again next year. I think that one's going to be a lot of fun uh, a year from now. Uh, we had a bunch of guys on and a lot of great insight. And I, I will tell you that of all the people that we had on during the pause, um, I think that the, the guy that we're in conversations with about having on uh, would rank in the top two, three, if we stack them up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's hard I to agree be with that. Pronger. It's hard to be hard to be pronger. Yeah. No. Um. But I, we, I know we're, we're not going to say who it is. Um. Because it may not. It's probably not going to be the next episode. It'll probably be the episode after that yep. that it actually comes on. Um. But uh, the, just to let everyone know, this is how the 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 most recent exchange uh, went. Uh. I reached out and sent me an e- uh, sent me an email back. Uh. He's on vacation this week. Uh, said, sounds good. Love to do it. Hit me up on Monday and we'll schedule a time. So 
next Monday when he gets back from vacation, I will be hitting him up and trying to schedule a time. And then we will have the announcement. Once we have it locked in at the time that we're going to have him, that's when we'll announce who it is. I like that your speech pattern became Bernie Sanders there for a little bit. And when he gets back from vacation, I will hit him up. I will reach out and I will say interviews for all. All right. I think it's time. All right. Yeah, it is. So get excited because it's a, it's a, it's a real, real excellent guest. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a uh, fantabulous episode to borrow from Poseidon. So in the meantime, you can follow us over on Twitter at Ant San Philly at joy on broad at snow, the goalie. We're there on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, facebook.com slash snow, the goalie. We'll have some flyer stuff coming up. And of course, we're going to be on a bunch of these press uh, conference phone calls with some of the other assembled media and some of the flyers players and other people. So we're going to be doing that all this week. So I'm, I'm assuming that for next week, we'll be doing a similar format as what we did this week. Uh, and then hopefully in two weeks, we'll have that special guest on. And I don't think we're going to be done there. I think the goal here is going to be to try to get somebody pretty big on every X amount of weeks as we try to you know, wade through the, the off-season waters, which hopefully won't be as, uh, as far-reaching or as deep as Anthony seems to think. <laughs> well, October will be interesting because we have a draft and we'll have free agency and probably some trades. So like, I think we'll have a few episodes in October yeah. that'll be really you know, timely of the, you know, of the current team. Yeah. But then as we wait for the start of the next season, we'll, we'll try and get some of these guests on again. We'll be doing some stuff. So for Anthony, I'm Russ. Thanks for checking in. Go back in the archive. If you haven't listened to some of those interviews, go give them a listen. Let us know. Hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star uh, five star rating is great. Leave a five-star review. We'll read it on the show. Greatly appreciated it. And the, what, three people? I think it's three people. No, the two people who have left a one-star review, you're both cowards. But everybody else, we love you tremendously. Well, I don't know. Three-star review, you're kind of a coward. Have an opinion. Five-star review. Five stars are bust. For Anthony, I'm Russ. Thanks for checking in. We'll talk to you next week.